it's a shame why you do not make the best out of your root cause analysis. Welcome to episode 46. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm your host, Georg Lohrer, and this is the Mastering Embedded Systems Podcast. This is the podcast for everybody who is interested in having more success in his project work. First of all, thank you to all you guys who have responded to my email. I have asked you for your biggest problem and I got several interesting responses. Moreover, I've done the same survey with my LinkedIn followers and now I have got also there all the responses and in my spare time I'm doing the analysis of all these details. I got a lot of very interesting notes and also topics. If you are interested in the results and you wanted to see how all the others struggle in their daily life, subscribe to my email list and do not miss any interesting topic. By the way, you might have remarked that I've started to rephrase the announcement mails for the ep podcast episodes. So that's for all the ones who are subscribed to my email list. How do you think about this rephrasing? How do you think about the new style? Good? Bad? Superfluous? Let me know. Drop me a message via embeddedsuccess.com slash feedback. Or tweet to me via at Georg Lohrer. So it's spelled G-E-O-R-G-L-O-H-R-E-R -E on Twitter. Today... We'll have another solar episode and we are talking about root cause analysis or better, we are talking about what's coming after this analysis. Some of you guys remember how I have bothered you with the series about root cause analysis some time ago. Okay, it was no real bothering, but maybe for the one or the other, it might have become a real pain during daily life to provide root cause analysis all over. But there is even more. And this is the thing we are talking in this episode. You guys should listen if you have to analyze problems with a significant depth. And if you want to know what can I do after I have done the root cause analysis, what are the next steps? This episode will support you in improving the outcome of your root cause analysis. You will get an idea how to achieve consistent, substantial and reliable ways to proceed with your analysis. If you'd like more information, visit the show notes at embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 46. And now, let's jump right into it, stay tuned, and be inspired. The idea for this podcast episode was raised in my mind the moment I, I, some of my co-workers came to me and said, Hey Georg, what exactly should I do after I have found the root cause? What should I do now? Yeah, I was really astonished because I thought it's more or less obvious what it should, what it should be done, but... It doesn't look like that. So I said, okay, maybe there might be some other guys out there. So I have to provide or I want to provide some details. But first, let's look a little bit backward. What was the series? I started in MES009, so that was episode 9, with the title Finding Root Causes with Five Wives. So that was the initial starting point for the Root Cause Analysis series. It continues in episode, or it continued in episode 14, with finding root causes with Ishikawa. And then finally, in episode 29, I have enhanced this whole stuff with find root causes with the enhanced cause effect approach. That was a different way to analyze root causes. So that was the series itself. But the general topics, uh, the general, but the general topic sustained for the main analysts of the root cause, the game is over after the analysis. But from my perspective, not for the real engineer. So that's something 
if you declare the root cause analysis is done, that would mean that you have clarified also a ton of other things. And that's what we are talking about in this episode. Let's imagine we have done the root cause analysis, as we know it with five Ys, Ishikawa, enhanced root cause effect approach, or whatever you use for getting in touch with the root cause. What's effectively missing? There are, from my perspective, there are two separate aspects after the root cause analysis. So it's further. the first step is, what about the further formal handling? What do you do after you have gotten in touch with the root cause, after you know it? And there is also some kind of further procedural or logical handling. Okay, let's start with the formal handling. We know what has caused the failure. But if we change our perspective only a little bit, we might end up, well, we might end up in a question like, why was the error not found in our own testing? You see, uh, it's not a cause of the it's not it's not a part of the rule cause analysis or the root cause analysis, uh, but it's something which is a little bit outside of that focus. It's outside of this bubble of root cause analysis, and therefore it's quite interesting. And also a question might come into the context if we say if we have a correction available and we maybe we'll already have it because it's might be not that big problem or we have an idea or it's already analyzed and it's, it's quite natural how to handle it. But we have a foreseen correction. How can we be assured that this foreseen correction really corrects the problem? And how will the correction interact with the existing system? Well, it's also quite an essential point. We'll come back to that later. And there is also some kind of question like, is there any kind of reuse to our findings for some kind of other projects? So same failures in different contexts? Couldn't we prevent that? And you, you see, it's, it's not a part of the root cause analysis, but it's a step ahead of it. So it's something which comes after the root cause analysis or the original part of the root cause analysis. But that's more or less a formal handling. But what about the procedural or logical handling? Regularly, you have a question, Lee. Uh, you remember with the, with the five whys, where uh, it's quite, quite, quite expressive, but if you come closer to the why, 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 why stuff, when at the very end you say, okay, you change the question slightly. I have explained that in episode nine. Um, you come to the situation to, uh, to, to ask no longer why something happened, but something like, where has our process failed that we come up with this kind of problem? So you change your perspective from the particular problem towards your process you are following. So And therefore, uh, it's also a kind of a question about processes, how you handle the root cause analysis or you handle the correction you have in mind in the next steps. So... There might be questions popping up for the procedural or logical handling, which are something like, yeah, how do you usually install fault corrections? Is it simply something like the developer uh, fixes the problem and when it's done and, and forgotten? Is it like that? Or do you have something more behind of that? And, for example, you want to change something significantly in the process, you're doing some things, how do you usually do that? Is it something like you discuss with your neighbors and then you uh, define it as agreed and then you follow a new process? Or how do you do it? Uh, what are the internal ways you describe a process? Very often I've observed that 
processes are not described in a formal way. We're simply like, it's informal. You know, everybody knows what to do. So that's what we regularly observe in even big companies. We don't have formal description of processes. We have a lot of formal description for the algorithms and how programs should run and so on, but not for internal processes. Maybe you have some kind of yeah, there are some nodes or we have some agreement, we have some minutes of, of meetings where we decided what and how we should do things, but it's not a general uh, or a generally agreed way to proceed with, uh, with processes. And moreover, a question like, do you have processes for improvement? So if you want to improve something, how can you do that? Is there some kind of company-like program? Is it something on your own, on your own, on your individual behalf? Or how do you do it? Let's conclude. Knowing the root cause is only the very first step in a substantial correction. So you need to improve, you need to maintain, or in general, yeah, you need to change. Well, change, continuous change, that's also something like continuous improvement because regularly if we want to change things we, th things we want to change it to the better if we don't want to change to the worse so therefore you might have heard about kaizen kaizen that's uh, inside of the toyota production model it's something like a continuous improvement idea context environment whatsoever it's some kind of japanese thing so i have described that in episode 24 it was Mura, Mura and Muri waste in software development. And there inside, it's about everything can be made better. So that's the general idea behind of that. And there is also a question about if you want to generally change things and improve furthermore, the question is about, have, have you ever heard about Yokoten Kai? Yokoten? Yokoten is a Japanese word which, which means, or a Japanese term, which means horizontal movement. But it's used in a traditional way to understand it, and it means lateral movement. So in a other way, it's best practice sharing. So that means I have found some details. I know a little bit about a problem which I have observed, which I have resolved or whatsoever. And now I laterally move my knowledge to some other parties, some other co-workers, some other departments, uh, not even companies, but inside of the company, where everybody can um, yeah, participate in my failure or in the outcome of my failure, so in the improvement, in the fix of the failure, and therefore prevent to do the same failure again. It's like in a, in a, yeah, let's say in you're, you're learning things somewhere. I some time ago I make a car driving course. I, I got a new car, and when I wanted to become familiar with the car, and my I, I take this kind of safety lessons, and there was always it was important to do the things by yourself, but it was even equally important to see what failures the other do and hear the instructor's voice but it was a walkie-talkie inside of the car and you get all the details and the corrections by the by the by the by the instructor so that was even it was equally important for me at least so and therefore also here yokoten kai as some kind of lateral movement of knowledge is equally important when to fix your problem by yourself and to be honest, it's really important if you don't if you want to prevent what you stumble over the same problems as your colleagues one room ahead of you but in a different department. Would be really great to achieve that. And I re I remember one customer I was working for, 
Uh, for this customer, the Yokoten work was, we are sometimes even more important than fixing the real problem of finding the root cause. What was the idea behind of that? It was, by the way, it was a Japanese company, and we have had the idea. Said, okay, it's absolutely human. It's natural that we run into problems. It's absolutely absolutely natural and absolutely human that uh, humans make errors. So that's that's the part of it. So we we got it. So we don't requested uh, that we do not make any errors. But what we requested was uh, it was sometimes it was even even more worse. We said we want that you make an error only one time, and when we expect you have learned something, you have learned how this error belongs to your affairs, how this error can be corrected, how this error can be prevented. And therefore, we want to ensure that this kind of error, this type of error, does no longer occur again and again. So, for example, we run into a situation that we have had a double free in a, in a Linux kernel driver. It was accidental. It was migrated from another party and there were some, some subcontractors in between. And it was a little bit of some kind of clued software which was put together. And in one particular situation within some error condition, it was a double free which corrupted the kernel. You know it, kernel loops and so on and so on, system crashes, etc., etc. So, and now we requested from our side, we want to, we want you that this kind of error of double free does no longer occur again in your software. You can imagine that this was particularly, absolutely hard to achieve any kind of lateral movement of this kind of story. Imagine you will have to provide to, uh, or you will have to prevent that there is any kind of double free situation in the Linux kernel. A Linux kernel is not only something like Hello World with some extensions aboard, but it's really something, a big piece of software. So we have had to deal and we have had to do a long story uh, to to fulfill that requirement. But it's a valid requirement from my perspective, absolutely required and absolutely, absolutely important to have that. And the underlying idea is that really that you do not run again into the same problem. So if we have to spend money because we run into a human-based or human-caused error, and most of them are, when we won't we won't spend the money twice or tripled or whatsoever. So we want to see that this kind of of story is is not appearing again and again. Very understandable. So you see, if you need to change things because you have detected an error in your system, in your environment, and now you have to provide some kind of continuous improvement, and you also have to take into account that nobody else in your environment or in your context or in your department, company, whatsoever, should do this error again, there must be some accountability in the improvement. There must be some kind of evidence about the improvement. Are we really improving with what we are doing? Are the things really done? Do we follow the new guidance in our system? Well, how to achieve all these things? How to achieve all that details? Let's remember the in uh, the incoming story at, at the very beginning. It was something that I that a coworker was asking me: what comes after the root cause analysis? And my idea is: it's all about using the full potential inside the analysis of the root cause. So, if you are doing a root cause analysis, 
it cannot stop at the moment. You say, I got the point where it is, and I have seen the error. That's it? No, definitely not. It must be, there must be a common understanding that in general, we want to improve our existing situation. And we want to improve it in a consistent way, in a reliable way, and in a sustainable way. And the question is now, how can we do it? So first of all, we have to extend the, yeah, the area or the amount of questions we are raising the moment we have done the root cause analysis. So the root cause analysis is done. Let's assume that. And now let's see what additional questions could we raise. And this question should help to improve and to stabilize our ideas, how we can continue and how can we prevent this kind of story, this kind of failure in the future. Now, I will provide you some kind of rather nasty questions, uh, which seems to be a little bit superfluous, but be assured we are not, we are definitely not, because if you answer these questions, you dive a lot more into the details, you dive a lot more into the into the affair itself, and you understand, after you have answered the questions, the whole problem a lot more, and you very often see that there is a bigger story behind of all that than simply getting in touch with the root cause analysis. So, let's start. First question, the reason why the fault was inserted. That's the original root cause indeed. So that's the thing what you have answered already. So that's the thing you answer with the root cause analysis. The reason why the fault was inserted. So that's the starting point. And now let's come to the next point. What is the correction? So you should describe what and how the correction looks like. That's very important because very often the, it's some kind of uh, waffling about uh, how the correction will be done. Something like, yeah, we will do it. It's no problem. And No, it must be described in detail. Then the next point is, does the correction really fix the problem? How does it fix the problem? And does it fix other problems too? So is there some, chi- some kind of chance what you... Advan- we very often see situations where you come, uh, you, you see, ah, I have to fix that. And then en passant, I, I, so in, in parallel, I do a lot of other fixes at the same time. And you know what very often happens then, you introduce two new problems. So because you, you mix up things. So the question here is, um, why do you think that the correction really fixes the problem? And combined with that, you have the question, how does the correction, how does your correction impact other components? You have to think about if you change things. So very often we observe that, uh, that a correction improves, for example, makes things faster, but you suddenly have some kind of race conditions on the other side. You have to think in a more global way, global belonging to your system. So you have, you have to think about your system and how your system is created and how your system is composed to understand, to answer this kind of question. How does your correction impact other components? Very often you can exclude any kind of, of impact, but very often you cannot. And that's the point. You really have to think about the, the previous question. Does the correction really fix the problem? Okay, let's change again the perspective a little bit. When and how was the problem inserted in the faulty code base? Sounds nasty, but when and how? 
was the problem inserted. So if you take the, you have found the root cause, there might be some failure in the code, there might be some, some process failure, there might be some failure in the algorithm, you might have some coding errors, you, what, you might, might be some um, errors in understanding how things should be done. And the question is now, when was it inserted? So that's essential because you want to know since when do you have to expect that things go wrong with that particular failure? But it's very important if you already have systems in the field and there might be upcoming problems and you might have to evaluate this kind of problem. So if you, for example, say, oh, it was introduced at the very first rollout, so there is a good chance that there might be other items, other systems coming up with the same failure. And then you have to consider already about counteractions at that moment. And the question is also, how was the problem inserted in the faulty code base? That's a process question again. So because it might be that there are some flaws in your way, how you introduce changes, how you compose things. Very often we have seen that uh, parts of the code were written by newbies. And yeah, and then sometimes errors were done or there are, there are old guys available, so seniors who have introduced things in the way we have done it already since, since, since ages, but they were wrong at that point because it was slightly different and we have to do it their natural way, which was wrong at that point. So the question was, how was the problem inserted? And now my favorite question. Why could the fault escape? So that's some questions which is which drives engineers nuts. So it's simply something if you come to the guys and ask them, okay, what was what was the cause? Why why do we observe this kind of failure? You rarely get some some answer like, yeah, where was the coding area here? And we misunderstand the registers where, and yeah, the system behaves differently, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But when you say, why could the fault escape? You rarely see some kind of big question mark in their faces. What, what do you mean with? fault escape and i said okay we are doing implementation we are doing testing and the testing the purpose of the testing is that errors we introduce during coding phase are found in the testing so and if we now have an error which has shown upwards in um, in, in in some other uh, timeline so at in the field for example at the customer side which is the even worse one but why why could it escape why did our tests not have found this kind of problem? And then regularly, we, I, I see the long faces. Yeah, right. So, oh yeah, yeah. That's ooh, that, that's critical. Yeah, we have not considered that. That's the regular answer. Yeah, we, we have not thought about this kind of escape. We have not found about this kind of failure. And say, so, okay, how can we? How can we rephrase? How can we design our tests that we find these kind of problems beforehand? How do we have to think about testing our 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 own stuff before delivering to find this kind of, of problems. Maybe it's even not possible because we are doing only unit tests or whatsoever and we are not doing white box testing or we are only doing white box testing but no unit tests or no system tests or whatsoever. Uh, but finally, someone hasn't found the problem, hasn't found the error and regularly it must be decided who should have found it and then we have to improve that. Then another improvement action is to have preventive actions. How can we prevent that such kind of problem will be inserted again in the code base? So that's already tending towards the Yokoten. You, you, you see, it's a question that, like, how can we prevent it the next time? For example, you have a coding error. 
and it was something like we have accessed the the wrong register uh, the wrong registers of some kind of chip on board whatsoever and the question is now why do we have come to that situation and then i say okay we for example have used the wrong manual uh, or the wrong manufacturer manual or it was an outdated manufacturer ma uh, uh, manual And therefore, the idea is now, okay, how can we prevent this kind of scenario again? And regularly, we'll have to ensure that we always use the newest manual for our program, or at least the manual which matches the chip's version. version. So that, that's something which, which should be combined. But very often, in the root cause analysis, these kind of questions are not responded. They are not raised at all. And an additional preventive action that's combined with the fault escape before. How can we how can we prevent in future that such kind of problematic code can can escape again? So uh, first is the analysis why the fault escaped, and then of course the second action is then how can we prevent it in future times? And then last not least here um, the Yokoten action. How? can we laterally share our findings and prevention actions? So not only the finding, but also what we have done to prevent all the, all the new upcoming of the, same, uh, of the same problem. That's something you have to think in a very detail, or in very detail, because it's, as mentioned with that double free, it might cause a tremendous amount of effort to prevent things. So you have to think, what is essentially the point we are thinking of? And we, for example, have at that point, we, dis, uh, we have seen that we have found the double free that was only in the driver we have composed by ourselves. It was not the, the driver which was provided by Linux. So we said, okay, for Linux itself, we most likely cannot ensure that there is no double free because we, don't st we simply do not have the capacity. And it's also not our order to, to do these kind of things, but for our own drivers we should ensure in future that we have no double freeze again. So that's some kind of action we can do. And we have shared this kind of information to all other parties. But it's also a question then to which all other parties? What, what does all other parties mean? And uh, that heavily depends on the size of your company. If you are a small company, so something like one to 1,000 guys, it might be feasible to inform all the persons. But if you exceed the amount of 1,000 persons. So, for example, you have a very big project with tons and dozens and hundreds of teams engaged. It might be even impossible to share all this kind of information. Then, it might be important to think about how can we establish some kind of process to share this kind of information. So, it's even a step ahead of the actual uh, improvement of, of your particular problem. So, And then also, you will have to provide some kind of evidence that you have made the Yokoten. So there must be some kind of uh, approval or some kind of approving details. Yes, you can see, I have shared my knowledge. It's not only something, I, I have, met, my, uh, I have one, met one of my buddies of the other department in the bathroom and we, told, we talked about this kind of stuff. No, it's some kind of official approach what, what we have done. So that's important. Now... <laughs> Now you will ask, oh, um, how should I remember all these details Geruk had just told me? So that's, that's rather easy, guys. Uh, no worries. I have a checklist available for you. So if you go, after, the, after you have heard this episode and you go to embeddedsuccess.com slash root cause analysis 
and you can get all these questions at once. So improve to improve your own business, to improve your own uh, project work. Okay, that was this part about improving. And now the question is also, okay, if we have improved, if we have done that all, how can we now follow up all the details? How can we deal with the process itself? So fixing the problem in the code base is the least and most likely smallest action. Very often, you have to establish new processes or you have to adapt a faulty or even wrong process. And that heavily depends on your company's internal improvement systems. What? I already hear you. What, what does Georg mean? Company internal improvement system. Is that this kind of system somebody from HR or some other company or some other department has established we should enter our proposals for improvement? Mm, yes and no. So it's something like if it's really essential, if it's really, um, yeah, let's say, um, uh, effective and efficient, if your company has an improvement system which is really effective, so it really does change things, so that you that you observe it that it, it becomes uh, that it becomes an effect, and that it is efficient. So it's done somewhere in time. You really get in touch with it during your lifetime. Then it's something you should consider to do. So if there is a good system available, then use it. I mean, an improvement system. Very often behind of these kind of improvement systems, you have also processes established. So there are forms, there are persons you can engage with, or you can you can ask for support, and then you get in touch. But very often, you only have, for example, your team backlog, and you can use that one. So if you observe the point where you say, okay, we have introduced a failure, and let's make an example. Let's have an example for... Um, um, the error was caused due to some misunderstanding in the manual. So you read the manufacturer's manual and maybe some kind of newbie has introduced the code, has implemented the code. It was one of his first activities. Okay, that's fine. And there was no, there was no uh, review of the code. It was simply, you know that, okay, it's time pressure. Everybody's under in the big hurry, big pressure from the customer. So go on, go on, go on. And you have done it and you stumble into the failure but it's a very seldom failure so it's it was not that obvious and also the tests were not sufficient so you see the whole full bad story and now the question is how can you prevent that in future how can you do that and then you, one idea might be to say okay we need to change the process how we do these kind of things so first thing this comes into mind is something like ah uh, yeah we have to do a code review so yeah great do it but you don't have the persons to do it initially at, at least not for everybody so you have to you have to chunk it down a little bit you have to think about okay who can do that and for whom should it be done and then you come into mind okay it should be done for newbies okay newbies is one one part but then also the other thing if we come into touch with new parts of the of the chips if they have to study manuals if they if they have to do things which are directly hardware relevant or hardware related so i have to get in touch with the with, with, with the with the chip with the with the silicon itself and then you will have to do this kind of, of change of your process. So if your process regularly looks like, hey guy, you are the newbie, here is the manual, that's the, that, that's the Wii editor, that's the compiler, that's the deal, go on. 
you will have to change slightly into some more appropriate format that there is a process how do you introduce persons, how you get them into touch with, with the details, how you can mentor them, so you can coach them during, during their activities. You have to prevent uh, that there is nobody available who can answer questions. And then it's, 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 it's essential that this kind of new process is then yeah, maintained somewhere and somehow, and especially in that case. So it, it would be very good if someone like a newbie get this kind of a story, it very much is some kind of storyboard. He looks at that and said, ah, that's my task. That's great. And that's the process I should follow. And in the process, you have guys he can get in touch with. He sees his mentors. He sees the reliable documents or the relevant documents. And, he, and all these things are also reliable because we are not 10 years old, yeah? I don't want to say that 10-year-old processes are wrong, but very often we need some kind of maintenance and there should be done some update of them. So from that perspective, if you have to take into if if you have to change your processes, if you have to establish new processes or adapt your uh, your 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 wrong processes, then use either the company internal improvement systems or use something which have which is in your mind personally. So that could be the team backlog, but very often that's only for features, but not for process improvement. And therefore, uh, there are several ways to do it. You only have to organize it. I personally, for, for example, favorize the SIPOC system. SIPOC is an abbreviation. It's S-I-P-O-C. And S stands for supplier. So it's, it's a sequential process description. It's very good for any kind of process which, which is sequential. So if you have uh, iterative processes, if you have circular processes, if you have spiral processes whatsoever, it's not that good to describe it. So you have to use other systems. There, there are, for example, um, flow diagrams, sequential diagrams, UML, whatsoever. But you have to note it down. You have to write it down. It could be even abstract, but then it's written down and then someone can rely on that. But let's come back to the SIPOC. So it starts with the S, that means suppliers. So that's all the parties who put some input into the process. So that could be, for example, design engineers, uh, lease responsibles, um, engineers, architects, or whatsoever. So you have to define that who is, who is supplying details into the process. And then... The I stands for inputs. You have to define which kind of inputs are provided by these suppliers. So are they, is, is it data? Is it ideas, documents, um, oh, further process descriptions, knowledge, whatsoever? And then the P, of course, stands for process. Herein, you describe in detail how the processing of the input data looks like and in combination with the next column, in that case, is the output, the O. It's in SIPOC, the O. And the O stands for outputs, and the process transfers the input data into the output data. And you have to simply describe it. And then the output data is used by the C, that's the customer, who takes all these details. Managers, uh, other, other companies, other departments, uh, your inner project reliables, whatsoever. So it's simply descript, uh, a pure description. So when you get an overview. As mentioned, it's not appropriate for every kind of process you have in mind, but most likely it's one approach for this kind of sequential processes which, which are a little bit 
um, data-oriented. If you have other ones which are more action-oriented, I would propose to use a kind of flow diagram or also uh, some kind of, of sequential or sequence diagram to see how these things are composing with each other. Um, it's not necessary that there are described signals or something like that. You can simply use abstract points and then go with it. But in all of that, it's all about using the full potential of your analysis of the root cause. That's the basic idea behind all of that. So if you want to get the most all of, out of your root cause analysis, if you want to answer this kind of question of the guy who has entered me and said, Gear, what should I do after it? What should I do after I have done the root cause analysis? My simple answer at that moment was maintain it. And then I have had to explain it. And that was what I've already told you. That's what I've had explained afterwards. You have to maintain it in detail. You have to follow up it. You have to extend it. You have to, you have to do the best with it. You have to decide what you will change. You have to follow it. And especially the process improvements or the process changes. Guys, I can tell you, that might be a really, really long story. And you might have, you might have to have a long breath to follow it up because it's sometimes really exhausting. Uh, but belonging exhaustment, um, wherefore you guys have me. So as mentioned, you do not have to download all these details about, uh, uh, about these questions and also about the process descriptions, um, especially if you are hearing this podcast uh, during driving, jogging, or whenever you do it. After you have gone back and you have an online connection, go to embeddedsuccess.com slash analysis and get the checklist. Okay, uh, now I hope that you guys got an idea of what it is all about this uh, root cause, waffling about this root cause analysis and what are the steps after the root cause analysis. That is a big ton of more. There is a whole world behind of the root cause analysis and you get can get so many details. You can get so much benefit out of root cause analysis if you follow up, if you maintain it. And I'm sure you now have questions or comments or improvements or you totally disagree. So no problem. Give me a chance to come into discussion with you. Please let me know. Go to the show notes at embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 46 and provide your comments or Use the feedback form on the same page or tweet me, tweet to me at, at Georg Lohrer, again, G-O-R-G-L-O-H-R-E-R, or use LinkedIn Oxing. If you are not yet connected via LinkedIn Oxing, raise your request to me. I will, uh, I will accept it, of course, and then let's see when we have a direct connection. Or le le send me an owl. And no, that was another story. Hogwarts, where are you? Um, by the way, by the way of an oil okay good yeah maybe it's, it's a bit a bad transition but it's better when no transition I'm preparing a lot for my presentation at the Embedded Software Engineering Congress in Sindelfingen so for it, that's from the November 28th until December 2nd uh, this big conference is in the south of Stuttgart in Sindelfingen so the online program mentions me at the 30th so that's my deadline 30th of November in the morning you'll, you'll find further details at their website Uh, the links in the show notes again. I'm considering belonging this topic about virtual teams and problems and five step how to uh, how to overcome the problems with virtual teams. I'm considering to raise a mini series about my presentation in this podcast. Of course, in more depth, with more details, and with a lot more stories. 
This was the analyzing 46th episode of the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. I'm Georg Gerer. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>